Peace, peace, family. You are now in tune to the ultra-magnetic and supremely energetic vibrations of the League of Logic podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of League of Logic. I'm your host, Brother Fahim, and I just want to say, come on in, chillax, relax, kick back for a second, and uh, vibe out and chill out with League of Logic. Again, on my podcast, I like to share insight and observations that are helped to facilitate and cultivate a higher level of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Ooh, man, I'm a little bit behind with this podcast today. Uh, it was a lot going on. Um, we had a recent graduate. My oldest son just graduated from college. And so, man, it was a very joyous, very festive, very celebratory uh, weekend. And so I kind of lost track of things, but I'm back. I'm back around, I'm back up and running, and I'm back to doing what I do. So I hope everybody had a great weekend and a great week thus far. So um, so today, I wanted to talk about the white savior complex, right? The white savior complex in society, and we see it in all aspects of culture, unfortunately. We see it in all aspects of black culture, it spills in, you know, since our odyssey, since our journey here in America, our sojourn, I should say, in America, in North America, we have been under the unfortunate governance and and ruling. We have been slaves and we have been oppressed by the dominant group. Not in chains today, but mentally, mentally, our brains are still in shackles. And part of that integration or part of that process uh, left some residuals, right? Um, one of those residuals, I would say, is integration. A lot of us would rather integrate than to separate. That's one issue. We're not going to deal with that today, but that's an issue. That's a residual of our sojourn. Uh, another uh, issue or collateral damage, if you will, would be how we hate ourselves. We hate ourselves. We hate the image. We hate, we hate the very thought of being black. In fact, in the 50s and 60s, if you wanted to fight with somebody, say, that's why you black. <laughs> that's a direct reflection of our psyche, our mentality, and how we we have a disdain for who we are. And it still manifests today. So the self-hatred that we have, but also that collateral damage, part of it is this whole concept that someone outside of ourselves, outside of who we are outside of where we come from, our communities, right? Our neighborhoods is going to save us, right? This whole concept that there's a benevolent white person out there that is going to help those downtrodden Negroes, those, those black people who cannot save themselves, who cannot help themselves, who don't have the fortitude, who don't have the mental capacity to save themselves we will go to them and we will grace them with our love <laughs> yeah buddy the white savior complex so per black equipment uh, per black equity resources you know on site uh online website I, I gather this definition and it it defines the white savior complex as this it's an idea in which a white person 
or more broadly in white culture, rescues people of color from their own situation, right? And it also goes on to say, for example, companies have claimed alliance with the Black Lives Matter movement. However, many have done little to nothing to hire black employees, particularly in upper management. At Microsoft, less than 3% of its U.S. executives, directors, and managers are black, according to the company's 2019 Diversity and Inclusion Report. Amazon 20, Amazon's 2019 workforce data shows about 8% of its managers in the U.S. are black, compared to nearly 60% of managers who are white. Public statements of allyship do nothing to fix the root problem. So I know I jumped in there a little bit. I skipped over a little bit of information, but that just shows the symbolism. I wanted to show you guys early the symbolism that is in the white savior complex and how it kind of manifests at these larger companies, right? In um, technology from this aspect. But I want to bring up, I want to bring up some stuff. I want to bring up something, uh, bringing you guys attention, right? So I saw a movie when I was an undergrad back in, I think it was 2012, maybe 2013. I want to assume it was 2012. We had to we had to go watch this movie in one of my classes. It was a cinema class I was taking, and uh, we went and saw this movie called Twelve Years a Slave." I can't pronounce the brother's name who was the lead character. I know he was in um, Four Brothers. He was the antagonist in Four Brothers. He was the villain. He was also in uh, Amistad. He he played the interpreter, right, for uh, Sinke. Give us us free. He was the guy who came in and spoke. He was the go-between. Um, and he's also in Talk to Me with Don Cheadle, right? He was Dewey Hughes. Dewey Hughes is the actual person. But nonetheless, in 12 Years a Slave, that movie, if y'all remember, that was kind of like Lupita Nyong'o's breakout role, right? This is when the world was first introduced to her. And she's a beautiful sister. Oh, my God. But nonetheless, when you watch that film, you notice a few things. Right. Um, you notice the treatment of the slaves. You notice the brush and the, har the harsh realities that slavery was in the antebellum America. But you also notice the number of white saviors in there. Right. You have I remember one scene early on uh, when they were getting the slaves off the boat or they were getting them from the auction block. It was one brother. He uh, he was like, man. Master, don't let him get me. Master, don't let him get me. And this white brother, this white, this white cat, came up and put his arms around him. It, it looked like when Michael, when uh, Scottie Pippen carried Michael Jordan off the court with that flu game. <laughs> he carried the brother off, man, and I was like, wow. But uh, that was one. Uh, that was one depiction. But the main depiction was Brad Pitt's character, right? Because essentially, the point of the movie was to show that this brother who had been in the quote unquote free North, right? Uh, physically free North. He was captured and taken down South by slave catchers and sold back into slavery. And it kind of chronicled what he went through as far as his sojourn, those around him, their, uh, their journey. And it kind of like highlighted these things. But Brad Pitt's character, I can't remember his name. He came in and he really assisted in uh, 
the main character's uh, liberation, his getting free. I forgot what he did. I think he might have written to some people who knew the character back up north, and he helped him. And I said, oh, okay. So that was one depiction of the white savior complex. There's another movie called Glory back in the 80s with Denzel Washington, Morgan Freeman. Um, I think his name is Andrew Brower. I know it's Brower. I can't think of it. The brother was in the Tuskegee Airmen, the HBO film with uh, Lawrence Fishburne, Alan Payne, and uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. But nonetheless, um, in, in Glory, you have this uh, regiment, the 54th, who were fighting in the Civil War. And I think... The, the guy who plays Ferris Bueller from the 80s film, I'm dating myself now. <laughs> um, he played Ferris Bueller, I forget his name. I think it's Matthew Broderick. Yeah, Matthew Broderick is the regiment leader. And um, he's there, it's told, it's told through his eyes. He's their leader, he's their commanding officer. And um, it's interesting, right? And, it, and it's pretty consistent, it's pretty interesting. Because what happens is, now he still upholds the racism of the day. It's not like he makes any exceptions. In fact, one of the famous scenes from Glory, if you guys will look up, was Denzel Washington, who had, he was, you know, he was a previous slave and his feet, I mean, they were like, whew, they were atrocious because he'd been walking around all his life with no shoes in the South, right? So his feet were like cut up, they were mutilated, you know, they were extremely mutilated. But uh, he snuck away from the camp and they brought him back and whipped him, you know, aside from, you know, him having the knowledge that, listen, these these uh, soldiers don't have shoes. You know, it's been delayed. They, they hadn't got the shipment of shoes. And so they're doing all this training uh, in these extreme conditions and they're expected to do them uh, as if they had shoes. And Denzel's character was like, "Nah, I'm going to break away to get me some shoes. So when he broke ranks, they whipped him. And that's what you see when he was getting whipped. Uh, the tear falls down his eye. He looks the man. He looks uh, Matthew Broderick dead in his eye. He's not going to break his spirit. That's what it signified. But I said that just to, just, to, just to demonstrate that his character wasn't any different than any other white person of that time. But at the end, by the end of the film, he leads them into battle. He needs them to buy in. We see their character development. We see how... The 54th, the Black Regiment, comes together. And we also observe how Matthew Broderick's character, being the commanding officer, respects these men's relentless spirit. And so he bonds with them. He allows them to carry. He, he asks Denzel to carry the flag. You know, he gets down in battle with them. And so it's depicted as though he was really uh, their advocate. He was part he was their savior even though he treated them no different than the other white people treated them he was still respected he was still made to appear as a savior piece as a white savior and last but not least my favorite is the the movie that grossed i think man i think it grossed disney's it had it, it has disney's highest it was disney's highest grossing film and that would be None other than the Black Panther. <laughs> I remember when the Black Panther came out, I took my two sons to see it. And um, right away, uh, I'm watching it. And I'm saying, wow, you know, what are what are they going to do? As I get older, y'all, I'm very weary. I'm very uh, skeptical and leery, not weary, but leery of what I put in my brain. Right. What I allow myself 
to take in mentally and psychologically because you know what y'all it has an effect whether you know it or not everything that you listen to everything that you see everything that you are, are exposed to it has an effect on your well-being on your whole person so be mindful of that so i'm watching black panther and i'm saying all right you know all black cast black director great great um you know it looks to be black environments great you know wakanda is this imaginary land that if you're to the untrained third eye if you don't know about sangha if you don't know about uh antiquity Ghana, if you don't know about a ski of the great you won't know that um it was actually wakanda was a real place right wakanda was simply african empires before europe was ever conceived but nonetheless i'm watching and I look at the dynamics of this and I say, hmm, this is deep. When you break it down, I believe I believe Professor James Small said this behind all content is intent. I'm going to say that again. Behind all content is intent. So what was the intent behind neglecting to help the rest of the world that you could very well that was oppressed, mind you, that was not in a superior position, but in a inferior position what was the intent behind safeguarding your resources your people on that specific land when you had well more than enough to go out and help those people in fact the peter Nyong'o's character when we first see her if you remember she is in the middle of trying to save people she's in the middle of trying to liberate those women right and I think they were supposed to be meant to be like, let's say it's like Boko Haram in Nigeria. But we see her. She's in the back of the van. She's with him in T'Challa and the sister in the door, Malaje, with the bald head. I can't remember her name. She played Tupac's mother in uh, in All Eyes on Me. But we see him and they go in and rescue him. But my point is, Lapita's character essentially had the same agenda as Killmonger. She was trying to free those oppressed Africans globally and worldwide. But remember now, Wakanda and the past Black Panthers were against that. And so was T'Challa. OK, next, what was the intention behind? Um, and I'm following me with this because I'm leading up to something. What was the intention behind? Keeping your heir, keeping an heir to the throne from the throne. You know, Killmonger's character in the movie was a relative of the throne, right? That's how T'Challa recognized him, because that was his grandfather's ring he was wearing around his neck. So this clearly, that should have let <laughs> the Wakandans know he clearly has a connection to, to the people of Wakanda. This is not just some African from over in America who has a death wish. Or he has a vendetta to just blow up the world. No, this is a black man who has experienced uh, oppression. This is a black man who has experienced the, the uh, he's tasted, like Malcolm said, the, the lash of the whip. And he wants for himself, uh, for he wants for him, his people what he wants for himself. He wants them to all be liberated. And why not use his ancient land, which his father told him about? Why not use their resources to free these people, right? But you deny this brother, right? You deny him. You you fight him tooth and nail to keep him 
from the throne. You even go as far as shooting down those uh, those fighter planes that are going to deliver the weaponry that would cause all these African people to liberate themselves. But here's my here's my uh, here's my ultimate point. This is what this is what I'm. So I'm trying to relate this to the white savior complex with the Black Panther. Agent Ross. <laughs> Agent Ross. Agent Ross is a part of the CIA. Now, those of you who are historically uh, aware, you already know that the CIA has been the number one perpetrator of bringing down African countries. Patrice Lumumba was killed by the CIA, right? of the Congo, he was killed and, and replaced and put in, they put uh, Mobutu in, right? Ghana, Kwame Nkrumah, a coup was enacted on Kwame Nkrumah and the CIA helped with that. You know, Malcolm X, Muammar Gaddafi, all of these black leaders, all these African, all these African leaders have been killed by the CIA. So what is the intention behind making this group of people shun their own and accept their oppressor so much to the degree that if you were listening sure said we're binging up another white boy <laughs> right she made mention of it but y'all bandage him up you know you 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 have him help you and you have him shoot down the fighter planes he wasn't just shooting down the villains evil evil minions going to Recarnage into the world. What that CIA agent was doing was shooting down Africa, global African liberation. That's what he was doing. All while perpetuating the white savior complex. At the end, we see T'Challa saying, "Yes, we will share with the world. Yes, we will. We will give our resources. We will. We will share. We will make you all aware of our vibranium." <laughs> That was backwards. That was backwards and it perpetuated the whole white savior complex. So when I saw that, I said, wow, they are really doing the job with the minds of these young people because they've made uh, they've made polarities out of these two personalities, out of these these two uh, archetypes. Right. They've made Pan-Africanism taboo. They're saying anybody who wants to liberate all Africans and overthrow their oppressor, that's radical. But they've praised, it's deep, they've praised the idea of neglecting the world to save yourself. However, we will allow our white oppressor to come in. Isn't that what they do in Africa today? If you're African, consider your country's condition, right? What is the fall of it? What's at the root of it? When they do business with these countries, with these European Western countries, do they do fair business or do they allow the Western superpower to come in and take and exploit and pillage? And you take the indigenous elite or those African people who are in charge, they allow them to just get theirs and the rest of the country suffers, right? But nonetheless, that was what I saw in Black Panther. And it really, like I said, it really just comes, uh, it really, it really demonstrates how deeply uh, enthralled and indoctrinated we are into the white savior complex. And again, that's just a part of pop culture. So I was just going to 
make the correspondence between that and other aspects that you might want to listen to and look out for. Right. So, you know, pop culture is the only place that we see the white savior complex enacted in and that we're engaged in. So it also has political implications. Right. And this goes back far and wide. It goes back deep. It goes back beyond Bill Clinton, Joe Biden. It goes back beyond uh, John F. Kennedy. It goes all the way back to Abraham Lincoln. Right. If you've ever been to Chicago, if you've ever been to Illinois um, on a license plate, you know that the license plates say Land of Lincoln. And uh, Lincoln's Lincoln's nickname is the Great Emancipator. <laughs> they call Abraham Lincoln uh, the Great Emancipator. And they call him that because they teach in the public school system that Abraham Lincoln and the Emancipation Proclamation is what freed the slaves. But when you actually read the Emancipation Proclamation, you understand that it only freed the slaves that were in those territories that Abraham Lincoln had jurisdiction over, right? You know, the United States hadn't always been a, a united uh, uh, republic. It's not a democracy. It's really a republic, right? Um, it hadn't always been united. And you you hear the, the vernacular, right? You hear things like he was trying to unite the union. He was trying to, you know, get the forces together. Well, he was. What the Emancipation Proclamation actually did was it freed a few slaves that was uh, outside of its jurisdiction. Remember now, if you were a state and you joined the union, you could keep your slaves. <laughs> you could keep your slaves. And so uh, this whole fallacy that Abraham Lincoln was doing something for, you know, black people is disgusting and it does a lot of things but it absolutely perpetuates the whole white savior complex because abraham lincoln wanted to rid himself of the negro right he first tried to send him to san domingo or what you know now is haiti he then sent him to uh what is that sierra leone and then also back to liberia west africa right um, and he he made statements. There's a book by Lerone Bennett, rest his, rest his Soul. It's called Forced Into Glory. I have that book. And it documents all the racist statements that Abraham Lincoln made on his campaign path when he was a senator. Abraham Lincoln was very racist. And he, he even, I quote, he said it. He said, if I could if I could unite the union without freeing a single slave, I would. If I could unite it by uh uh, by not freeing the slaves, I would, you know, if I could, if I could unite the union by freeing them, I would, if I could unite the union by not freeing them, I would. And so that, that tells you right there, he was pretty much indifferent and he was not this great emancipator. He was not this great lover of liberty that they teach, that they lie to the children in, in uh, elementary school. Right. But it goes on down further. John F. Kennedy, you know, in the black community, back in the 60s. I call it the Holy Trinity. And I might have spoke about this before. Y'all, uh, if y'all think I'm uh, jive, or you think I'm lying, ask some elder people or go to somebody elderly's home. The Holy Trinity in an elderly black person's house was these three. It was Martin Luther King Jr. And I'm talking about on the wall hanging up. You could see him when you walked in. It was Martin Luther King Jr. 
It was Jesus Christ, the white Jesus, right? And it was John F. Kennedy. Now, it was John F. Kennedy because it was a belief that John F. Kennedy was a friend to the Negro, right? It took Malcolm X talk, telling us about white liberals and how they were foxes and how, uh, you know, they had the same objectives as the, as the white conservative, but they went about it differently. I'm not a political guy. I try to stay abreast of politics, but I do respect the white conservative a little bit more than I respect the white liberal. Why is that? Because at least I know where the white conservative is coming from, right? A lot of y'all who were, <laughs> a lot of y'all who were um, so heavily invested into barking Trump down, into getting rid of Trump, into uh, making America safe again, you know. Blaming that one person for the racist structure and system that we live up under. How do you feel now with a president and a vice president that ignore your, your complaints? With Kamala Harris saying that racism, uh, America's not racist. With Joe Biden saying you ain't black if you don't vote for him, right? With, with the Asian community after suffering or feeling discomfort for a year, getting an executive legislation endorsed by the president and you still have yet to get anything or we still have yet to get anything african-american people you know um how, how that that must feel it has to sting a little bit but nonetheless um john f kennedy uh was not a friend to the negro when when um you know they call alabama birmingham they call it bombingham when those four little girls were killed, nothing happened. And I, I I think I mentioned this before. It was only when it was only when Afro-Americans began to arm themselves and take up arms. That's when John F. Kennedy sent the uh that's when he sent the National Guard into Alabama. Look all this up. You know, again, lead with logic. Go to the go to the the facts, the data. And see, is the data concurrent with what I'm saying, or is it uh, uh, in opposition? But you'll find out that, um, you know, John F. Kennedy was no friend to the Negro. He wasn't, he also, you know, the Catholics got on John F. Kennedy because he was a Catholic, but he didn't do anything for the Catholics either. Because the Democrats at that point, who would later become the Tea Party, who would later become the Dixiecrats, they were on him. They stayed on him, you know. And, and a politician has to either uh go to their base who's paying them or go to the people or side with the people who voted for them and nine times out of ten i'd even say ten times out of ten you gonna always go with the bag right they're gonna always go with the bag but nonetheless this whole white savior uh complex it also included john f kennedy now the last one that i would mention in politics would be bill clinton and, and joe biden you know i remember bill clinton being on arsenio hall in the 90s i remember the whole him not him smoking weed, not inhaling. I remember the whole Monica Lewinsky fiasco. And there was this belief, and I think there's still this belief, that he was a friend of the Negro. I think of the black man and woman. You know, we even deemed him, I want to say it was Toni Morrison that said he was the first black president. That's the that's like the funniest thing ever. That's the funniest thing ever. But nonetheless. When you look at how Bill Clinton destroyed our community, 
when you look at how Bill Clinton is a part of this whole, him and him and Joe Biden were major components in the 94 crime bill, right? They were major components in that. And uh, they made no bones about it. You know, especially Mr. Biden. Mr. Biden said he they should have been rougher on those thugs. You know, they should have been harsher drug laws. There should have been more judges coming down for these nonviolent drug offenses. That was Mr. Biden. That was y'all's president. So, um, but nonetheless, with Bill Clinton, uh, you know, we look at him as someone because he had or he 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 nodded or he tried to uh, involve himself or he had a quote unquote respect for black culture. This man, we voted for him. We put everything behind him. We even deemed him the first black president, you know, and it didn't help us at all. It, it absolutely harmed us so much to the degree that he had to apologize when his wife was on the campaign trail. And the same with Joe Biden. Um, Joe Biden was an avid racist and he sat next to avid racists. He put a lot of these laws in, in place, not just the drug laws, the NAFTA. Go look up the North American Free Trade Alliance and how it destroyed the middle class black community, how it took jobs. You know, how it's it's how it's um, responsible for the harsh realities that we're experiencing today. But again, we we propped him up because the liberal media told us that Donald Trump was a monster. So Joe Biden was going to be our savior. And it wasn't so much we voted for Joe. We just voted against Trump. Right. And Joe Biden was the choice that they gave y'all. <laughs> white supremacy, white superiority complex cloaked in white liberalism right <sighs> now this this one this one here um um going a little bit deeper into some of the customs how it how, how the white savior complex uh bleeds into the customs in america and in the western world um this whole concept of santa claus you know, my children know better than that. They know it ain't no. They know it's not a fat white man with a red velour jumpsuit that's going to jump down the chimney with all these this thick bag of toys riding on a deer with a red nose. No, we are lying to him and we are we are unconsciously or even consciously setting him up to feed into, to be more accepting and tolerant of the white savior complex. You know, you have to explain to your children, number one, <clears throat> I'm the one that pays for these gifts, right? If you, if you partake in Christmas, I, I pay for these gifts. We love you. And so therefore we want you to, uh, we want you to enjoy, uh, this holiday or this Western holiday, right? We want you to enjoy it. But, uh, you know, it's funny. If Jesus if Jesus is the reason for the season, then why so much emphasis on Santa Claus? <laughs> right? But tell your children the truth. There's no way you can tell them the truth or lie to them. There's no way you can lie to them and expect them to later tell you the truth. It just doesn't happen. So keep it honest. Keep it, keep it real with them. Always have a tight, a tight uh, relationship with truth. But uh, the whole Santa Claus that primes your children to buy into the white savior complex, uh, the tooth fairy, this whole belief that a fairy is going to come through 
and put some money under your pillow because you've lost a tooth. You know, this, this make-believe white person, this fairy, uh, super supernatural phenomenon, right? Uh, Cupid, Cupid and Valentine's Day. You know, when you know the history, when you know the origins of who Cupid was, you know that Cupid was a a uh, a character who would who would uh, eat the hearts, right, of little children. They would eat. They would eat the hearts. That's why he's known. That's why you see him as a child with an arrow. He was eating, and and, and they put him inside of a heart, right. That's the backstory to Cupid. But again, this whole white savior, we looking at Cupid as in the highest form of love, how we love. That's not the way we love. And that's not the highest imagery of love, but it's been placed before us. Um, but the last thing in pop culture is for the 4th of July. Frederick Douglass made a speech called what, what is to the, uh, what is the 4th of July to the slave? And he was trying to make, he was making a point that, you know, black people in those times were slaves. We really didn't get to enjoy the spoils of winning the war as they won, as the British won. I mean, as the Americans won, American settlers won against the British, right? And they won the freedom or the, uh, the autonomy to be able to do to black people or uh, their slaves at the time, what the Brits were trying to do to them, which was colonizing, right? So why in our right mind will we celebrate the 4th of July? Instead, do you celebrate Juneteenth? Do you celebrate in February? Do you celebrate your culture every day? You really should be celebrating every day. But I say this again, a lot of people celebrate the 4th of July and do other things, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you celebrate it, we don't celebrate it because we understand its origin and the significance and what it truly means. Right. You'll never catch us doing that. But what you will catch us doing is taking these uh, holidays um, and making them opportunities to strengthen our bond, to build up our family's uh, cohesiveness and to learn and teach, teach and learn. But yeah, this whole Fourth of July phenomenon, black people. Uh, involving themselves, that is absolutely a demonstration or manifestation of the white savior complex. Now, lastly, but not least, I want to talk about the religious implications and how we see white the white savior complex play out in religion. Now, I'm a person like this, y'all. Um, when I walk into a black person's home, a lot of what I see as far as the yeah. Im as far as the imagery tells me a lot of what I need to know. What I mean by that? What I mean is this. If I come into your home and as as a black man and come into another black person's home and I see an image of a white Jesus, that alerts me right away that mentally and psychologically uh, and subconsciously you worship the image of whiteness as being divine. You do not worship yourself. You do not hold yourself in that esteem. And you do not see yourself as God or and or goddess. Right? How many times will you walk into somebody white's home and see a black Jesus? Right? 
you don't see that because they see them they see God in the image of themselves and we should as well it's nothing wrong with that but that that tells me a lot about your psyche a lot about your mentality right there right it's no different than uh Arab Islam or quote-unquote Orthodox Islam you know I I have a brother that I fell out with on Facebook we had a, a little dispute over Elijah Muhammad because uh, I made mention that, you know, a lot of Orthodox, a lot of Arab Muslims, they really complain about the nation of Islam, but they really have a negative twist or a negative spin on Elijah Muhammad. But my point to the brother was, you know, Elijah Muhammad, while there are a lot of African-American Muslims that, or a lot of African-Americans that, that have accepted Islam, Elijah Muhammad is the one to thank for that, because here's what Arabs did not and do not do. They were not going into black communities, raising up black people from the condition that they were in. They were not giving dawah or they were not, you know, spreading the gospel or spreading the, the news of Islam to black people. But they will come in your community and set up a business. They will come to your community and set up and sell you liquor. They will come to your community and sell you pork. They will come to your community and engage you and give you things that will take your life but they won't necessarily give you things that could potentially uh renew your life or give you more life elijah muhammad did that with all his faults it's it's funny to me today to see how they praise muhammad ali i always tell my children don't be fooled what they're really doing is they're praising the elijah muhammad in um, they're, they're praising Elijah Muhammad in Muhammad Ali because the reason that they love Muhammad Ali, I'm black, I'm proud, I'm the greatest, Allah is the greatest. That was everything he was being taught by the nation and Elijah Muhammad. Right? But uh, again, um, without Elijah Muhammad, you don't have great names like Malcolm X. You don't have great names like... Uh, Muhammad Ali, you don't have great names like Imam Suraj Wahaj. You don't have great names like Louis Farrakhan. You know, and even before Elijah Muhammad, there were people like Noble Drew Ali. Right? These were people who took a little bit of Islam and they made it their own. And so uh, that leads me to my point. That's a form of that whole white savior complex. You know, it's, you know, the white Jesus and the Arab. Uh, the Arab-oriented uh, Islam, you know, and I, and I'm, this is not to knock people who are Muslims, because I, I have brothers who are still Muslim that I love very dearly and deeply. This is just my personal perspective. This is how I feel, and I believe they know me. They know how I feel. You know, if I if I'm going to engage myself or involve myself in a religion, it's going to have to be a religion that's fugu for us and by us. Uh, because these other ethnic groups, uh, while they may pray with us, they do not accept us uh, uh, on a whole. They do not accept us as their brothers uh, unconditionally, right? And it's a lot of racism in Islam. It's a lot of issues. It's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things about Islam, a lot of ill, Ill behavior and a lot of, uh, ill patterns that go in Islam. And that's not to say that that doesn't exist in everything that man makes and, 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 and regulates. It's just to say that uh, 
those Orthodox Muslims should not uh, be so vocal about other ethnic groups who have taken Islam or tenets of Islam and tailored it to their very needs or they've tailored it to their culture because our cultures are different and that's what they would say. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, just this whole overall belief in something other than ourselves uh, coming in, you know, how many of us know about Vudan or Voodoo? You know, how many of us know about indigenous African spiritual systems, right? And I know not a lot of Africans come over to teach us, not a lot of Africans come over to explain these things or share with us sometimes. But are we researching? Are we reading? You know, are we trying to, to find out, you know, uh, uh, about these different systems, you know? Yeah, so I just uh that that that's really all I have, you know. But I would I would challenge you to ask yourself: Do you take part in any of these things when you watch these films? Did you see how the white savior played a role and how it altered uh, the overall meaning of the movie? Remember, like Professor James Small said, behind all content is intent, you know. Um, when you read the history books now, hopefully you will read a little bit deeper into who these people were, who these political leaders were, and not just go off of, you know, their campaign rhetoric or their speeches while they were on the campaign trail. You know, in pop culture, you know, everybody has to, to celebrate. I know some people don't want their children to miss out. And I get it, there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I would just hope that at the very least, you would be transparent with your children and say, hey, listen, you know, this whole Santa Claus thing is a is something that, that makes it a little bit more fun, but it's not the most accurate. Uh, and then definitely with, with regards to religion, if you don't see yourself uh, as being divine, then you're going to have a rough time. I think... Uh, I forget his name. He played uh, Dresser in Five Heartbeats. He played Adam Col Adam Clayton Powell in the, uh, the in the Showtime series Keep the Faith, Baby. And he also uh, was in uh, Superman. I think he was the president. Uh, I had a clip of him saying, "Black people are the only people that see divinity outside of themselves. You know, in every other people, they see." divinity they place divinity inside themselves they don't look outside uh for holiness or for their divine being you know and so we should not we should not look at uh we should not not look to other than ourselves to see uh the supreme spiritual spirituality so that's really all i have i appreciate you guys coming through and listening um, you can leave comments, questions, and concerns, and I will definitely read them and maybe even respond to some of them. But uh, this is Brother Fahim, and you have been listening to the Leave of Logic podcast. Peace and love.